This episode is sponsored in part by Linode. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. And hey, listeners of Full Stack Journey podcast can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit. Find all the details at linode.com slash fullstackjourney. This episode of Full Stack Journey is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online training from IT Pro TV, and we have a special offer for Full Stack Journey listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. Visit itpro.tv slash full, get 30% off all plans, and use the promo code full at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash full, and use the promo code full at checkout. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. We are so grateful that you decided to join us. For our first-time listeners, if you haven't listened to the show before, the purpose of the show is to get together with other technologists and talk about uh, technologies, open source projects, uh, products, something of that nature, something that's going on in the IT industry, and provide some real, practical, actionable advice for helping you approach how you might go about learning that. If you are a repeat listener, well, thank you so much for being a repeat listener. Um, Today, I am joined by a pair of guests, and I'm very excited about that. It's one of the first shows I've done where we've had more than one guest on at the same time. So uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll do well with the production here. But uh, joining me today, we're going to be talking about data protection and Kubernetes, and we'll talk about um, an open source project called Valero. But joining me today, I have uh, Carlicia Thompson and Nolan Brubaker. Uh, Good morning. How are you all doing? Good morning, Scott. Morning. I'm doing well. Great. Glad to be here. Well, thank you both for joining. So uh, why don't each of you take a moment just to kind of uh, introduce yourselves. And if you have, you know, online uh, contact information, uh, podcasts, websites, whatever you want to share with folks, uh, feel free to mention that so they can find you online. But uh, Carlicia, we'll uh, ask you to start. Just going to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are. Sure. I'm Carlicia Thompson. I work for VMware on the open source uh, projects that we're going to talk about today, Valero. It does uh, backup and restores the migrations of um, Kubernetes clusters. I've been there for, I've been with this project for over two years. I have in the past worked uh, helping build a TLS system. I have built just general web applications. Um, I ran my own business for a while, software company, and um, most currently, besides working with Valero, I also host a podcast named The Pilots, where we talk about cloud-native technologies. Awesome, awesome. Now, Carlicia, didn't you run another podcast for a while, or still running another one? Yeah, well, like you might be- a podcast? Yeah, yeah, you're thinking of GoTime. So GoTime started- I don't know, maybe four years ago. And I was a host there for two years. Yeah, I thought I remembered that being mentioned somewhere in the connection there. So, okay. So you're a podcast veteran. Cool. Glad to have you on. <laughs> Nolan, how about uh, you take a minute and introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Nolan Brubaker. I am not a podcast veteran. Um, <clears throat> I um, also work at VMware. I work on the Valero project as currently as a tech lead. I've been with the project for just over three years now. The project itself, I think, is going on four in like April. I have background in uh, early on doing web development and uh, later uh, infrastructure stuff like OpenStack and now Kubernetes. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't have a podcast or, or YouTube channel or anything. Um, and I'm currently on a Twitter hiatus. So I don't know if I have a whole lot of resources to share, but uh, I guess I can drop my Twitter handle in the, in the show notes. If I pronounce it, people will probably get it wrong. I've, I've had people uh, get confused by it before. So <laughs> no worries. That's totally fine. The most important thing is that you're here and we can, uh, you know, take this opportunity to share your expertise and your experience with Valero and, the broader topic of data protection and Kubernetes uh, with the listeners. Cause I think that's, um, I don't know. I know we're getting into the, the material now, but like, you know, one of the things that sparked my interest in doing this episode is, you know, I, I talk with folks and I hear folks talking about it and they're like, Oh, you know, this is Kubernetes. We don't need to do, we don't need to do backups. Like, you know, 
this is this is new cloud native stuff. Like backups are for old legacy busted stuff, right? You know, um, right? And, and I thought, well, you know, that's not really true. Uh, we still need to make sure that we're taking care of these things. But um, and then so when I had the opportunity to uh, to reach out to uh, both of you, which I did in the uh, the Valero channel, the Kubernetes Slack, which we'll link in the show notes in case any of the listeners want to join into that community and find out more about the project or how it's used. Um, I was super excited that you were both able to join. So why don't we start with kind of tackling that piece of it? And that is, you know, why do we need to think about data protection in Kubernetes, right? I think, you know, right or wrong, um, mostly wrong in my perspective, but feel free to tell me I'm wrong. You know, there's this impression that we don't need to do that. So why do we need to think about data protection in Kubernetes? So let me just start by saying that, uh, just to clarify for people who maybe are not clear, why would people think that? Why would the people think that with Kubernetes, there is no need for backups? So I think what leads to that thinking is the, the idea that Kubernetes clusters are ephemeral. So you declare your clusters, you declare resources, and you issue a command, everything gets deployed, it's awesome. It, when it goes down, you just issue, you already have the declarations, right? The declarative configuration. You just deploy, uh, issue the same command, everything goes back up. It's, it's amazing. It's, and that, that is true. And um, in, if you have a database attached to it, you know, you can always run a, a, a backup of that database the old fashioned way. And, uh, and yeah, that's why people think I don't have to worry about anything specific for backing up clusters. Yeah. But that and, is not true. Yeah. And when you when you look at Kubernetes, people look at and like, okay, I'm using the YAML stuff, I'm using GitOps, and I'm maybe I'm connecting um, my databases to something external. So I'm using a hosted database solution um, from any pickup cloud provider, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, so in that instance, people think they're protected because they're using the cloud provider. They're relying on that cloud provider to have done all of that due diligence. But, you know, we see the cloud providers go down. You're, you're, by doing that, you are, yes, you're, you're relieving yourself of the maintenance cost, but you're also not owning the uptime. So when you bring uh, a stateful application, like a database, I, I say database, but it could be a file-based thing or whatever, databases just happen to be the kind of quintessential stateful thing. When you bring that into Kubernetes, um, you're again, owning the uptime and the maintenance and stuff like that. So you then have to start thinking about that uh, again. So yeah, okay, you've got your, your YAML configuration in GitOps, that's awesome. Um, that, that aspect is mostly covered, but there are some subtleties that aren't in GitOps. And then also covering the volumes that are attached. If you have any volumes that aren't just Scratch that you care about, um, you need to think about those too. You know, we're, we're, we're all familiar with this sort of, you know, uh, cattle, not pets mentality or the saying, right? I think it was Adrian Cockcroft that initially came up with that um, saying, if I'm not mistaken, but um, popularized by a lot of different people. And, I, and I've seen it used in the Kubernetes space as well. Uh, and, and even to the point where, you know, they're saying, you know, clusters is cattle, right? You know, mm -hmm. not just applications is cattle, but clusters is cattle. Do you suppose that that mindset feeds into this idea that, you know, oh, I'll just recreate it. You know, I don't need to do that. I've got all the manifests somewhere or I'm, you know, I can just run another command to create the same, you know, output. You know, if I'm using cluster API, I'll just run cluster CTL again and create a new cluster and off I go. Do you think that plays into this idea that I don't need to worry about data protection in Kubernetes? I think so. And I also think... Kubernetes and honestly, container orchestrators have solved for stateless workloads. Um, so if you if you go read a lot of the documentation, they assume stateless workloads, but then you start working on stateful workloads and you start hitting some of the corner cases. So uh, if you look at how do I put Postgres in, how do I put Cassandra in, how do I put uh, you know pick pick your distributed database that probably existed before Kubernetes and had its own way of negotiating uh, constant uptime. There are, there are rough edges in Kubernetes. I think some of the stuff that you were describing is true if you host your data outside of Kubernetes. Um, 
and you say, okay, I'm going to treat that specially. But if you host it inside of Kubernetes, then you're probably want, you probably want to look at something like Valero um, to grab that data and make sure it's safe. And even if you're dealing with uh, stateless clusters or some parts of your clusters that are stateless and you do have the, um, your configuration files that you can just redeploy, clusters tend to change states. You, sometimes there are applications that you run that are changing the states of the cluster. So if you lose the, that cluster, yes, you can redeploy everything, but that state that was changed, you are going to lose it. Yeah, so um, with, to, to Carlicia's point, like with GitOps, you can save a lot of your YAML manifests. Um, but if there are applications that are Kubernetes native in that they use the YAML or etcd to store their state, their state isn't in a volume, your GitOps isn't going to have that. So something like Valero, um, can capture that and uh, reapply it if you need to get that back. And sometimes it's an anti-pattern, um, like the status field should, the controller or operator should be able to recreate the status field, but it, they can't always. So things like that, yeah, like Carlicia said, that's even if it's a quote unquote stateless application, they may be putting state in that maybe you're not fully aware of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so with that in mind then, so I, th I think we've done you know, a pretty good job of sort of debunking the myth that even, even if we are running 100% stateless workloads, and I will use the term stateless, you know, stateless air quotes, right? Because there may be state involved that, that is not visible to the user or to the consumer of that application. Even if they're doing that, there still is a use case for something like Valero or some other backup sort of solution, right? We're gonna focus our discussion on Valero, but there may be others out there. And, and if there is state, like, you know, obvious state involved, like, you know, persistent volumes and, and that sort of thing, right? Then you're, We're you're pausing the podcast for just a minute to tell you about today's sponsor, to, to think, Linode. Think about that. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that let you take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit. You can find out all the details at linode.com slash fullstackjourney. Did you know Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24 by 7 by 365 human support with no tiers and no handoffs, regardless of your plan size? In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. So host your website, build your app, store or backup media, it's up to you. And it's all free with $100 in Linode credit. Visit linode.com slash fullstackjourney and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. And be sure to check out Linode's new YouTube channel for video tutorials, security tips, and more at youtube.com slash Linode. And now back to the podcast. Let's shift the discussion then and, and talk about Valero. So uh, I'll go to you first, Carlicia. So what is Valero? Like, you know, for, for somebody who's brand new to the space, what would you tell them? What's your elevator pitch? All right. So Valero is a CLI tool. You install it on your Kubernetes cluster, and it's very simple. It has a few commands, but it's a very powerful tool behind all that simplicity. Basically, you will do, be able to do backups of your cluster. And because Kuber, uh, Valero is what I like to say, Kubernetes native, because we use CRDs to specify the objects that we, we need to use by will. Valero, that Valero needs to use to manipulate all of the backup and restores and all the operations that Valero does. Um, this is not going to be quite a pitch. I don't know how to do pitches. Everything I say is long. Um, so at any rate, I, so I, I like to say that Valero is Kubernetes native. It understands how Kubernetes operates. And we do it through, we are able to do that via using the Kubernetes API. So we can, we have abilities to, to do, for example, selective backups, selective restores, because we can go in and just use the, the API, API that uh, 
Kubernetes offers and operate through that. And we can do uh, backup of the clusters, backup of uh, volumes. And uh, when you have a service provider, you're using a persistent state with your service provider. And if uh, not, a third option is also to do file level system um, persistent volume, persistent backups, because we use this other tool that's also open source called Rustic. We pretty much cover all the bases, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, so with Valero, we've got the option to, you know, we're running backups, we're talking through the Kubernetes API, we can sort of selectively say, I want to back up, you know, this namespace or this type of object or whatever the case may be. And then we, and that, and that captures sort of all that state that is inside Kubernetes, right? And then for application state that they're storing in volumes, then you can either do uh, some sort of, uh, I guess, a snapshotting through the provider, right? Correct. Yeah, we use the provider SDK to trigger snapshots whenever a vol uh, persistent volume backup is, is um, requested. Gotcha, right. Or you can use Restic and sort of reach into the file system and do like a file level backup if that is necessary as well. Yeah. Now, Nolan, comparing Valero, like are there other options out there that people might run into when they start looking at Kubernetes backup? Yeah, so one, one kind of big hammer option is etcd. Um, so uh, for those who aren't familiar with um, the Kubernetes architecture, Kubernetes by and large relies on a distributed database called etcd. Um, it's, not, it's not a traditional kind of, it's not comparable to MySQL or anything. It's not a SQL database. But that is where the majority of Kubernetes data is stored. And one way you could capture state is to grab the whole etcd database. When designing Valero, uh, what we chose to do was not grab that. And the reason why was in, in some of these managed offerings. So let's say you're on Amazon or Google or Azure or, you know, any, any, anybody that gives you one of their managed services where you say, just give me a Kubernetes cluster, you click a thing in their web browser or issue a CLI command. They don't expose the SED cluster to you. That is hidden and you can't get to it. So Valero goes through the Kubernetes API server, which is uh, basically a web front end to everything. So it, it works in a variety of environments. It's not just on-prem or uh, hand installed. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like the, the primary alternative is sort of the big hammer of running an etcd backup. Yeah. If you want more granularity, there's really not a whole lot of other options. There's there's also a, another project called Castin that works very similarly to Valero. A little bit of a different breakdown on how, how Castin is open source versus commercial. So Castin has a, um, a rules engine called Canister that's open source, uh, but that doesn't actually do the backup. To get the full backup functionality, uh, you need to pay for a proprietary program called Castin, uh, which is now part of Veeam, actually. They were acquired recently. So um, we've also worked with them some. Uh, there's a, in the Kubernetes community, there is a data protection working group. So we've talked to them about working on standards um, and getting a more consistent format and, and things like um, snapshotting in the Kubernetes API, because one challenge there is because we're not snapshotting the whole etcd database, we're getting one, one object at a time, basically. Some of that state can change and be a little bit off, but by and large, Kasten and Valero use the same, uh, in, in the large, they use the same approach. Gotcha. Okay. All right. If, if a listener's out there and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going down the Kubernetes route and I haven't thought about data protection yet because I was sort of thinking on this other route, this other line, you know, like I don't need to do that because I can recreate things. So they want to, they want to take a look at Valero. What do they need? Obviously they need Kubernetes, of course, right? They need Valero. What other sort of technical prerequisites might there be? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have on our documentation, uh, after I finish, no may remember the Kubernetes versions that, you know, how far back we are compatible with. But the main thing you're going to need is uh, an S3 storage or S3 compatible storage. That's the heart of the Valero system. 
that's where your backups are going to go to. That's where you, if you need to create a restore, that's where um, it's going to find your backups. And uh, it's what we, uh, what we consider the true source. So for example, if you have a bunch of backups in your clusters and by backups, I mean, when Valero creates a backup, it creates an entry in the database. I like to think of it as a database, the etcd, right? So each CRD is actually a database back and an instance of a CRD is like when one gets created for a backup, for example, it exists in the cluster you created the backup from. But that's a representation, it's an instance. The actual backup gets um, tarballed, gets zipped up and shipped to whatever S3 storage you specified as your storage. Now, it doesn't have to be in your cluster. It doesn't have to be in the, in the source cluster, in the target cluster. It can be anywhere. You just specify where it is and it's fine. It can even be in your own computer. Now, if you delete a backup locally, we consistently uh, sync with your storage. And so we go to the, if you say, I will delete this backup, we'll go to the storage and uh, delete. And for example, if you have a cluster that is pointed on the same storage, because for example, let's say you want to, uh, oh, I want to be making restores from the storage, the, that cluster, that other cluster, will also keep syncing and will recognize that that backup was deleted, for example. So the clusters you point into that storage are all, all constantly in sync. And uh, so that's the main component. And um, other than that, I think everything is intuitive. I mean, if you are going to have, if you need a persistent state, you're going to need to connect to your of whatever sources provider or on-prem, we can also uh, operate on-prem. Uh, but so as part of a little that we haven't talked about is, is uh, the system of plugins that we have. And the plugins are interesting and convenient and flexible because we, the Valero team maintains three plugins for uh, each for, a different providers, so AWS, uh, Google Cloud Platform, and Microsoft Azure. And there are a bunch of other plugins that the community maintains. So whenever you need a connection for, let's say, uh, make backups of persistent storage with a provider, you will need to use a plugin that corresponds to that provider. The same way that if you are going to have your S3 storage, in any provider, you also need a plugin for that provider. So I think uh, as far as Valero components go, it's basically our objects that are composed of CRDs or, or customer sources instances, right? The S3 buckets where the backups go, we have this plugin system to make all the connections, including the connections with uh, persistent persistent storage, and then the Rustic, which is sort of like a plugin, but isn't. It's just a separate tool to do the file system level backups. Did I miss anything, Nolan? Um, we also have um, beta support for what's called a container storage interface. Um, so that's, that's an initiative. It's not fully baked anywhere yet, <laughs> really. Um, coming, it, it, that is a generic way for anyone to provide uh, snapshot, well, actually, I'll say snapshot support, but the CSI interface is very broad. Um, um, we have support for getting container storage interface snapshots um, if a storage driver for Kubernetes supports it. Um, that will be the future, for both for Valero and Kubernetes, um, but for, again, both for Valero and Kubernetes, that's still beta. Um, down the road for persistent volume snapshotting, um, Valero's own plugins will be sunset, um, but um, in favor of CSI snapshotting. Um, but the object storage plugins will stay 
um, because Valero backups basically consist of stuff in the object storage, which are the Kubernetes YAMLs, and then any Valero metadata, and then snapshots, uh, which will probably exist in, say, Amazon's EBS or Google Compute or VMware storage, things like that. Gotcha. So the idea would be that, you know, so right now you've got this set of plugins that are interacting with you know, platforms directly. So there's an AWS plugin. Um, I just had to walk through the Valero install uh, a few days ago, in fact. <laughs> um, and so you've got the AWS plugin, which basically interfaces with, say, EBS to do EBS level snapshots. Um, and then, you know, Azure and, and, you know, whatever else, right? But then the future is going to be the CSI plugin because that, that kind of gives you this standardized, you know, interface for, for all storage. So as long as, they, as long as a, a storage vendor provides a CSI interface for their platform, then Valero would be able to work with that and initiate snapshots and stuff, assuming that they have implemented that support. Yeah, and, that's, and that, that is a standard being driven in the, the Kubernetes community. And uh, a lot of providers are bringing that in now. Um, so it's, it's not, it's taking some time. Um, and, and, uh, some of the implementations for, um, Kubernetes persistent volume stuff are being removed in favor of the CSI implementations, but not all CSI implementations have snapshotting support. Um, like I said, the, the CSI, um, inter, the CSI API is not just snapshotting. Um, and there's also, this is really early days, but we're hoping to have discussions around something more than just snapshots, especially for on-prem. Um, so like a snapshot in EBS is not the same as a snapshot in, for instance, VMware or Ceph. Um, so a snapshot in EBS, you take it and they do some magic behind the scenes and put it in their object storage. Uh, same with Google, same with any public cloud on VMware and other, or vSAN maybe is probably a better, um, a better term or Ceph or any other local system. A snapshot is local to that system and you need to ship it out somewhere. So we're looking at how to, how to make the on-prem story better. Um, the, the vSphere plugin for Valero does a lot of that work now, but we're looking at ways to bubble that up into Valero. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad to hear you mention that actually, because like way back in the day, you know, I used to, I used to work for a channel partner and we did a bunch of work with NetApp and uh, NetApp has this, or had, you know, I haven't touched their systems in ages, but it had this really cool sort of snapshot functionality built into their file system. You know, you could snapshot LUNs and, you know, file systems, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, was super fast and all that kind of stuff. And so many people would mistake, and, but they were stored on that, on that search platform, you know, that, that array. Right. Right. And so many people will be like, oh, I have snapshots. I have backups. We're like, yeah, not exactly. Right. Because if your array fails, then all your snapshots go with it. Exactly. And, and depending on, on the particular storage system, like if you, so Valero was designed initially around a lot of the public cloud assumptions. So um, it assumed like an EBS or Google cloud or Azure snapshot was cheap and it didn't have lasting implications. That's not, that's not true on some of the on-prem systems. So if you can take a ton of snapshots on vSphere, for instance, it can eventually, depending on the, the amount of time between when the snapshot was taken and present, that can actually affect performance of the VM. So um, we're looking at ways to not rely on the snapshot construct and also get away from that terminology because like you said, I, I think the public cloud has maybe um, altered people's, people's perception of what a snapshot is. Um, it's not meant to be a backup because you need to go somewhere durable. Yeah. Um, and I get one other thing I'll mention quickly uh, because of the public cloud considerations, uh, Carlisi had mentioned setting up an object store. Um, so Valero communicates with uh, object storage APIs for storing its metadata. We've gotten a lot of requests to not do that uh, because that's an extra, if, if you're not using a public cloud already or you don't have an object store like, such as Minio, that's um, what we use in like our quick start evaluation guide. 
Um, if you don't already have that, then that is an extra thing you have to set up and maintain next to Valero. So we're also looking at ways to just dump Valero uh, metadata into a file system mount so that anything you can mount into a Kubernetes container, whether that be NFS or you know, some other array that you're duplicating some, uh, some other way. Um, from our side, it's a much simpler implementation, but then you would have to duplicate that somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems though, um, and I'll just a real quick aside, and then I want to move on because I want to be mindful of the time, but it seems like every time I turn around, another storage vendor is adding object storage interfaces to yeah. their platforms. So it almost seems like an object storage interfaces are uh, not quite ubiquitous, but like getting there, right? They are, um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I can, I can certainly see where, you know, there might be some, some organizations that haven't sort of gone down that route and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to maintain this. But it also seems like we are trending towards if you've got any reasonably modern storage array, you probably have object storage interfaces on it. Yeah, I think app developers inside of companies are just pushing for it. Um, but it's also reasonable, at least from my perspective, to say, well, we don't want to use the object. We don't need to use the object store for a backup. We want to have an explicit backup array that this dumps to. Uh, so can we dump it to a, an NFS mount that we are managing as a backup system? So I, I think that's reasonable. Um, so yeah, that is, that is something we were looking at. Um, but yeah, given, given Valero's kind of uh, it, it, it's history as it didn't start at VMware. It started as in a smaller company called Heptio that did not have an infrastructure layer. So for them, it was easier to just take on public cloud assumptions. Um, but definitely for the on-prem story, it makes a lot of sense to at least have that option. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Hey, we're taking a quick break from the podcast just to tell you about our sponsor today, IT Pro TV. They are IT training specialists. Did you know a recent MIT study found that IT occupations have grown by 19.5% between 2004 and 2019? That's more than eight times the growth rate for other jobs over the past decade. While the earnings growth for those with college degrees has somewhat flattened since 2000, earnings have actually grown significantly for individuals working in IT. And it's never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder and IT Pro TV has you covered, from CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft. There's more than 4,000 hours of on-demand training. Engaging hosts present information in a talk show format. They're live every day, and shows go studio to web in just 24 hours. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. You can stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on-demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and get a great job with IT Pro TV. Just visit ITProTV slash full for 30% off all plans. Use the promo code full at checkout. That's ITPro.tv slash full and use the promo code full at checkout. One last time, ITPro.tv slash full and use that promo code full at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now back to the podcast. So um, you mentioned a quick start guide, and I'm, I'm guessing that if for somebody who is just going to get started with Laro, like, you know, maybe they're you know, fairly familiar with, with Kubernetes and they're familiar with the idea of, you know, custom resource definitions or CRDs that we've talked about how Valero uses CRDs, you know, they, they kind of have that thing down, but they're new to Valero. I'm assuming that the quick start guide would be the best place for them to jump in and become familiar with sort of Valero as a, as a project and how it functions. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it would be a very good place to start. Yeah, we have, uh, we have our documentation uh, starts out by, you know, install Valero and then quickly veers off to, well, you know, go look for the plugin you're going to need to use if you're interfacing with a service provider or if probably people are not going to have a storage uh, in their, in their, uh, I mean, when it's not on-premise, when it's on-premise, then you have to take some, figure out what, what it is you're doing. But if it's, if you have a service provider first thing, you're going to look for the plugin, then the plugin itself is going to have information for how, what, how, what to configure and how. So it might be, you know, you're definitely going to need an S3 bucket, uh, buckets uh, that's uh, required. 
And if you're doing a persistent volume, you're going to need to do some documentation, uh, to follow some documentation about that. And uh, the quick start is you use this menu. It's a very, you can just read through just to get a full, uh, full snapshot of, I use the word snapshot in this context, how confusing, but you get a full picture of end-to-end installation, what it would look like. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. I just like to make sure that for listeners that they have at least some sort of on-ramp, right? Like, Hey, I'm interested in this. I want to know where can I just go, you know, have a kick the tires, you know, take it for a test run, whatever. And so it sounds like the quick start guide is definitely it. And as far as prerequisites go, I mean, they need to be familiar enough with Kubernetes to install Valero because it is Kubernetes native. So they have to do that. And they're going to have to install, you know, Minio or some other S3 compatible solution, whatever that may be, or know enough about their cloud provider to, to be able to, you know, assign IAM roles or the equivalent and create the equivalent S3 buckets or Azure blob storage or whatever the case may be so that they can dump, dump data there. Um, Uh, Does that all sound accurate? Yeah. And our structures are pretty comprehensive in that regard. It will tell you exactly what information you need to get from the provider, what you need to configure, so you are, you are very well guided there. And the yeah, website right. is valero.io. All right, perfect. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Yep. And, and for our quick start, for just evaluation purposes, I want to absolutely stress this is not production ready. Uh, we have a, a Minio instance. Uh, we have uh, YAML for a Minio instance inside the Kubernetes cluster. Um, so... It, it at least sets it up so you have somewhere to push things, um, but it will be in the same cluster. So that's not great <laughs> for backups, but you can see how things work. Yeah, it's kind of like the snapshots on the same array that we were talking about earlier. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your backups are stored in the thing you're backing up. So you might not wanna, might not yep. wanna try and go production with that. Okay, but, that's, but it, it is helpful for, for, for folks who want to get started with it and maybe aren't familiar with Minio as a product, right? Yep or anything else. And they're like, I just need to get this up and running so I kind of see how it works. Right. And then, you know, yeah, I don't, you don't want to do anything production, even close to production with that, right? Not even like staging or anything, but at least you'll get an idea of, of what it looks like and how they interact. Yep. All right. So um, one last question, and then we'll, we'll see if there's any final wrap up thoughts. Um, Valero's an open source project. Uh, you mentioned the website, valero.io. Um, we'll include a link, um, uh, developed on GitHub, um, if I'm not mistaken. So we can include a link to the GitHub repository in the show notes as well. Um, for listeners who might be interested in getting involved, um, whenever I talk about open source projects, I always like to give an opportunity for contributors such as yourselves to let folks know, Hey, here's, here's how you can get involved. Um, what are some ways that they could get involved in helping to support, uh, the Valero project? You know, you need folks like testing, documentation, you know, obviously code. I mean, like, you know, what would be a good way for folks to jump in? Yeah, um, both of those would be awesome. Um, Yeah. So um, github.com slash VMware dash Tanzu, T-A-N-Z-U slash Valero is the repo. But like Scott said, we'll we'll provide a link. Um, we've got, if you want to dive into code or documentation, we've got uh, issues labeled with good first issue or help wanted. That's a, a label that if you're looking for something that we think is a good, good starting point. Um, we have on the Kubernetes Slack, we have a channel, I think Scott mentioned earlier, uh, Pound Valero. Uh, or hashtag Valero, whichever you want to call it. Um, folks can download. We do. We're going to be trying to do um, beta releases. Folks can download those and try them out on non-production clusters. See what they find. If they find any issues, um, reviewing docs and, and opening issues to say, hey, this was unclear. Things like that. That's a contribution. Um, we also have uh, community meetings. Um, given uh, the recording time, they'll be a little bit sporadic uh, t- through the end of the year. But in general, they are uh, Tuesdays at noon Eastern U.S. time, and uh, they're about an hour long. And uh, I'll include a, a link to that. Uh, those are discussion uh, status updates from the maintainers and discussion of design documents and issues. 
And then we also have office hours every other uh, Thursday with a couple of maintainers answering questions and giving demos. Uh, anything else I'm missing, Carlicia? No, I just I wanted to uh, reinforce what Nolan say, said by saying we are very welcoming of contributors, of newcomers, any, anyone interested in the project, uh, reporting bugs, or reporting any issues, making feature requests. I wanted to point out that if you go in our documentation on the left, on the table of contents, there is a page that's uh, named Instructions for Maintainers. I think that is such a great place to start and see how we work. And then at the very end, it, you know, it has a suggestion for if you want to become a maintainer, how, how we would onboard someone, what the requirements would be. And if you do want to start uh, running Valero code, if you want to poke around, if you want to start making some contributions, there is a whole section under contribute. There's a bunch of pages. So everything that Nolan mentioned is you you can just go to that page and it's going is the entry point for all of the information that Nolan mentioned. Any information you could ever wish to, to know on how to participate in any way with the project, it's listed from this point on. And um, I also want to mention that we're always looking for ways to onboard people quickly and easily. We are putting out a uh, configuration to run Valero using Tilt. Tilt is a tool for local development. And it has, we, we, are, we haven't merged it yet, but once it's merged, there will be documentation uh, showing you how to just boot up Tilt with Valero. And it's super simple and quick. You don't have to think about Minio. You don't have to think about anything. It's just like change a couple little things and you're up and running. And then you can start making changes to the code and see it or running on the logs uh, on the Tilt UI. So it's very, very cool. If uh, people think uh, getting started, you know, installing all the things is a bit too complicated, this is the simplest thing in the world. It's amazing. So definitely use uh, it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that, um, Carlisi. It sounds like you guys have just really, really focused on, and I think this is really cool, really, really focused on making sure that it's easy for folks to come in and contribute, right? And it's, I know we, we digress from our, you know, discussion a little bit here, but sometimes I think, you know, open source communities don't put enough effort there and it, it makes it hard for folks who may want to come along and help, but uh, the barrier of entry may be sufficient that like, it's, it's really hard. I can share an example from my own background, you know, uh, way back in the day, Nolan mentioned OpenStack way back in the day, I was in the OpenStack space as well. And I wanted to help with documentation. You know, I, I've written books, so, you know, I can write documentation, right? But the barrier to entry for documentation for me at the time was so high and there was all these tools to be installed and the specific framework to be used and da, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, you know, I would spend days just trying to get the tool chain up and running, um, yeah. right? And it, it just, it was, it was a pain. So I'm really, I'll wrap all that up to say, I, I'm really jazzed that you guys are putting that effort in to making it easy for folks to become part of the Valero community and participate, whatever that participation looks like, right? Um, and recognizing that participation is not just only code, but also all these other things as well. And that's, that's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, I, I would, I, uh, Having worked with OpenStack, yeah, I never touched the docs, but yeah, it's it's always frustrating when you bounce off an open pro, open source project because it, you can't even get the thing running right. So um, this Tilt tool for is awesome for just general Kubernetes development. I'm glad we're bringing it in into Valero. Um, if you are trying to contribute to Valero and you find something's unclear and uh, maybe we did, we forgot to write something down. Uh, we, sometimes we do. Uh, please let us know and we will get it written down. Um, yeah, we, we want to make that that smooth because it's it's definitely not fun to want to help and then figure out, okay, this just isn't worth my time. I'm going to move on. And for the records, our website and our docs use Ugo, 
which is this Go project for websites, which is, I have never seen anything simpler and quicker to use. We might not have great documentation like right up front about how to change our docs, but I'm going to actually look into that. It's, okay. If you do want to change documentation, our documentation, it should be very simple. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I use Hugo for my own site, so I am familiar with Hugo. I use Hugo for some internal projects as well. So good to, good to hear that you guys are standardizing on Markdown and Hugo for docs because that makes makes life easier. Yep. <laughs> All right. So as we get ready to wrap up, um, any, any final thoughts and it's okay to say, no, we've covered everything. Uh, any final thoughts that we need to share with listeners about Valero or, you know, how they can get started or anything of that nature. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up that, uh, we we didn't really get to is um, Valero offers a plugin two two plugin types um, called uh, restore item action and backup item action and what these are are uh, plugins that act during that phase so if it's on backup it happens at backup time and it's restore it happens on restore time um, Valero internally uses these to kind of logically separate operations and do some stitching together of things as things happen on restore and backup. But um, the cool thing there is if you have something that's coming out of backup and going into a, a cluster on restore, you can manipulate that object or do whatever. So um, you can, uh, it's kind of like an escape hatch and you can call external APIs or whatever. Maybe don't do long operations there because <laughs> Honestly, don't know how that would work, but um, Valero, Valero offers these methods for actually manipulating the objects and not just shoving them in and stitching them back together. So that is a like a migration use case that um, Valero can offer and a translation use case. Um, so like we use that to clone a PV from one, one namespace to another, uh, per per persistent volume, sorry. Um, which is not, it's coming in, in standard Kubernetes, but it's something you can take advantage of in Valero. And this is something that um, Red Hat has built into some of their OpenShift migration um, uh, utilities like Conveyor. Um, so they've built a, a suite of plugins on top of Valero that manage the OpenShift specific uh, custom resources. Gotcha. So is this, and I'm glad you brought up the migration use case, because I think that's another useful way to think about this and saying that, you know, hey, I've got some, some applications or data or whatever it is that exists in cluster A and I need to migrate them to cluster B. So mm -hmm. that's another use case where, um, you know, this, this comes into play. Um, and I think, is that, is, that, is that part of the functionality that enables you to like back up from one namespace and restore into a different namespace, right? Is it sort of the same idea or no? Um, not necessarily. Um, it's, right. it's more, uh, these, these plugins are, they match against uh, Kubernetes resource type. So okay. Kubernetes kinds of ha has its own type system. Um, and you can say, um, so within, within Valero one, I'll give one example of how Valero uses it. Um, if you use a Valero command to say, Hey, back up all the pods in this namespace or back up this namespace. Um, Valero understands that, yeah, you wanna back up everything in the namespace, but a persistent volume is not a namespaced construct in Kubernetes. So what we do is we have plugins that walk from a pod, they, they match on a pod and they return any persistent volume claims that are tied to a pod. And then those go to another plugin, which take from the persistent volume claim any persistent volumes. And so it implicitly walks that tree for you. So it gives you functionality to do that kind of thing. Um, with cluster API, um, these plugins aren't implemented yet, but they can unpause and pause nodes on restore. Um, and we're also working with some folks in the um, VMware office of the CTO to do Kubernetes version migration and translation. So let's say you took a backup of um, Kubernetes 1.15 and want to jump to Kubernetes 1.20. Um, I choose those versions very specifically because there were a bunch of 
deprecations and removals of APIs in between 115 and 120. And um, what, what the work this group is doing will allow you to do is say, hey, I want to translate this version to this version. Um, there exist methods for Kubernetes to do this natively, but the goal here is to say, hey, let Kubernetes deprecate those. We don't want those to live on forever in Kubernetes, but we do want your backup to be able to be restorable um, and be able to do um, like big version jumps rather than upgrade your cluster through five different versions or whatever. So um, they've, they've got a design proposal that I'm pretty sure is pretty close to being merged. Um, and I think they've been writing code alongside it. So yeah, those, those plugins allow for a lot of different things to happen um, based on the resources that go, go through them. Gotcha. Okay, cool. That's important to know. And I think that use case of being able to make sure that your backups will be able to be restored, even if there are API deprecations is a, is a useful one um, for sure. So great. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Nolan and uh, Carlicia, both for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I think um, there's been some real useful information shared with the listeners um, about sort of how to think about data protection in Kubernetes and, and how to think about and approach Valero specifically. And we've had some great conversations about some of the use cases that listeners may be able to, to explore um, in their own environments. So I uh, really appreciate your time and sharing your expertise. Um, and, uh, uh, before we go any, uh, I think, uh, so Nolan, we're going to put your Twitter handle in the, in the show notes, cause it's hard to pronounce, but, uh, uh, we won't worry about that here, but, uh, Carlicia, do you want to share, uh, you know, a website or Twitter handle for our listeners in case they want to follow you? I'm very active on Twitter and my handle is my first name, Carlicia. Um, that's the best place to interact with me or find me. Uh, except if you want to talk Valero, hop on the Kubernetes Slack, and we're always there. And uh, Valero also has a Twitter account. It's Project Valero. Okay, awesome. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, both. And listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope that you have found some value in the show and uh, that uh, we've been able to share some information that's useful for you. As always, we do appreciate you giving us your time and your attention. Um, if you have a few moments and you want to uh, give us a rating or a review on iTunes or any of the other platforms where the show is syndicated, we'd certainly appreciate that. It helps us reach uh, new listeners who may find the show's content useful. Uh, also, um, like Project Valero, the Twitter, uh, there is a Twitter handle for the show itself. That's at FSJ Podcast. So we'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested in uh, contacting me, uh, Scott Lowe, your host, you can hit me on Twitter is at Scott underscore Lowe. The show and the show notes are always live on packetpushers.net. So thanks so much and have a great day. 